We now return to Illinois Rising, presented by the Illinois Opportunity Project, the radio show discussing honest truth about Illinois policy and politics. Here's AM560's Dan Proft. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Rising. I'm Dan Proft, co-host of Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, weekdays 5 to 9 a.m. with Amy Jacobson. Joining me on this installment, Pat Hughes, co-founder of the Illinois Opportunity Project. And Pat, you know what I uh, enjoy more than anything in Illinois? Uh, Bill signing ceremonies. They're the best. I like it, uh, particularly when you have uh, Republicans and Democrats come together to uh, celebrate themselves at the expense of the Illinois uh, population, the Illinois electorate, as it were. And we had one of those uh, with respect to the FY 2019 budget. Governor Ronner signed it. Republicans and Democrats came together, uh, declaring it balanced, celebrating themselves for yet another session's worth of good deeds done for Illinois families. Uh, and some people, a small minority of legislators and uh, those who are uh, uh, policy advocacy organizations like, say, the Illinois Policy Institute, said, actually, uh, boy, they're lying to you again. <laughs> what else is new? The, uh, ba- the budget they passed and the governor signed, not balanced, uh, digs the hole $1.5 billion deeper. And uh, now we find out that, in point of fact, those who voted against the 1,245-page bill that they had five hours to read uh, and uh, suggested that this was not a balanced budget, that this was another uh, effort to hoodwink the, the uh, populace. Uh, they turned out to be right. Preliminary official statement to potential bond buyers, because the state sold uh, almost a billion dollars in bonds this past week, uh, geo bonds. Uh, Governor's Office of Management Budget said that the uh, Budget is out of balance by $1.2 billion for fiscal year 2019. Yeah, it turns out, Dan, that you can check those numbers. I don't know if you knew that. Like, you could, like, check them mm-hmm. and see if it's a balance. And then really quickly, um, the idea that a balanced budget, even though I know we haven't had one and we still don't have one, is some sort of ultimate good, right? That the fact that you got to balancing by taxing the hell out of everybody is an ultimate good is is funny that everyone would celebrate that in and of itself. Yeah, and it turns out, too, you get in trouble with the SEC. I mean, not in Illinois, because we've uh, defrauded uh, bondholders before, uh, defrauded the marketplace before, but uh, you have to provide accurate information if you want to sell bonds in the open market. And so uh, the government had to come clean on this one. For more on this topic, we're pleased to be joined by State Representative Mark Batnick. He's a Republican from Plainfield, one of only 20 out of 177 state legislators who voted against the budget. There were only two in the Senate. There were only 18 in the House, and Mark Batnick was one of them. Mark, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's uh, a sunny morning, but I'm feeling a little bit more uh, doom and gloom after that intro. Well, I mean, uh, you know, it, the truth is doom and gloom in Illinois, I guess. Um, why Why did you vote against it? You apparently uh, saw the doom and gloom uh, coming our way with respect to this budget specifically. Yeah, I mean, I think you talked about uh, quite a bit of it. And one thing that you barely touched upon was the fact that we just had hours to read the bill. I mean, this was really done... Uh, most of it was done behind closed doors by a small subset of people in the house. And the idea that I'm going to somehow go through over a thousand pages of spending 
within hours is, you know, it's absurd. I mean, I, I certainly have, have taken many different approaches, but I think when we go down to Springfield, it should be budget first. We vote on a lot of nonsensical things. We, we create a false crisis by just pushing the budget process to the end. And then we create this situation. Well, it's this or nothing else because it's May 31st. And, yeah. and then we're, we're, we're forced to vote on things. If, if, if when, when session starts in January, we should have those discussions first before we talk about, I don't know, how we label catfish on a menu. That's just me. <laughs> not that that's not important as well, of hey, course, hey, hey, catfish Mar- labeling. Hey, Mark, um, when this happened and, and you see that it's out of balance and you're not voting for a balanced budget and you go to your colleagues and say, hey, guys, th- this isn't balanced. We, we, we can't, A, vote for it, and B, we can't then go sell it to the public that it is balanced. What kind of response do you get from people on our side of the aisle, or your side of the aisle, and mine, I guess, and uh, uh, and the opposition? Well, I, I I don't think they knew, right? I mean, seriously, how, how are we supposed to know that it, that it's out of balance? I mean, I, I hate to say this, we heard rumors, and you're, you shouldn't be voting on rumors, but you know, some of us were getting some of us that are skeptical can start looking and and get an inkling. And when you, when you see things like we're selling the Thompson Center for the third time. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you can only use that money. That money is supposed to go back for the 16 budget, not the, not the 19 budget. Um, there's, there's things like that, that make you realize that, you know, there's an issue here. And then just when you look at the raw spending totals, but, um, it, it's, it's, re- it's really hard to have those conversations when you literally just have hours. Uh, how are uh, people feeling in your district out there, uh, uh, in, uh, you know, Will County area, Plainfield, uh, about uh, the state of affairs in the state of Illinois, and uh, to whom are they ascribing blame in your, you know, travels door to door and community events? Uh, corruption, property taxes, are uh, and, and spending are, are three big issues. And in fact, I'd say it's property taxes, property taxes, and then corruption and and, and spending in, in, in government. And you know, the simplest answer they blame Madigan. Um, they're not really sure why all the time, but they, they certainly hate the fact that he's been there for as long as he has and how much power he, you know, has. So uh, it, it, it does mostly come down to Madigan. But, you know, I think Republicans have to do a better job of, of explaining why and selling their story. And, and if, if it is just Madigan, then, then how do him and the reps that support him, the reps that enable him, how do they keep getting elected? If we're not able to tell that story, then shame on us. Kristen McQuarrie had a piece in the Chicago Tribune this week uh, telling uh, Republicans uh, and sort of uh, you know, ringing the alarm that uh, assume crash position, that uh, Ronner is going to go down, and there's a survey out this week that has him down 16 to uh, Spalding. The race hasn't moved since, frankly, I surveyed it the week after the March primary, despite the millions spent by both sides and probably because of it. Uh, but she suggests that not only is Ronner going to go down, uh, he is going to be, uh, uh, per the rhyme of the ancient Mariner, the albatross around a lot of suburban Republicans' necks. Um, do you see or feel that same heat in your district uh, or in conversations with your suburban colleagues? So I think I'm taking a little bit of a different approach than what most of my suburban colleagues are feeling. So um, I don't know if you're aware of this. I'm literally inviting every voter in the district to dinner to have a conversation with them about what's going on in the state and how to fix it. So I don't feel it because I'm having those conversations. I'm confident in the solutions that I bring forward. 
You know, I think I have a track record of standing up for the taxpayer, of standing against corruption, of standing against matting, and I have things I can point to. So those conversations go well for me because I like taking that approach. I, I don't know what everybody else is doing in their district. What, what do you serve? So, what's, what's on the menu for dinner? Is it family style? Or? It, it's, uh, it, 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 is, uh, it is family style. Well, no, I guess it's, it, it's technically buffet style. So it depends. We've had lasagna. We've had chicken. We've had really good roast beef, um, phenomenal roast beef with vegetables. So and both of you are certainly certainly welcome to, to, to I like, come. And, I like there's some good policy. I like the vegetables. That's health health conscious. I really don't. Good. Uh, the only way I'd hang out with a state legislator, no no offense, Mark, is if he fed me or she fed me. Correct. Yeah. Although Mark is an exception. <laughs> yeah. Mark, Mark, isn't one of the issues? And how do you overcome this? Or what advice can you give to other people running for office? Because you've done it so many times that the other side, you know, the the Democrat legislator or the person running, is is selling the same thing that the Republicans are saying. Basically, they're saying, look, I'm not responsible for anything that's happening down there. I'm also opposed to Mike Madigan. I also want to freeze your property taxes. Aren't they just saying all the same? It's not true, but aren't they saying all the same things that the voters want to hear? And how do you differentiate and overcome those uh, mistruths? Well, look, you hit on something that was just covered in the Sun-Times on Sunday for me. So when the budget crisis hit, I um, I quickly signed in on chief co-sponsor of No Budget, No Pay. I even had a website, NoBudgetNoPayIL.com. Um, Madigan did not let that bill see the light of day. Um, Madigan's attorney actually sued the comptroller on representing six six uh, Democratic representatives to get paid. I wrote a letter to the comptroller outlining an legal argument that she should use in court to halt that pay. It wasn't you. So Madigan was all over Getting the legislators paid, I worked as hard as I could to say no budget, no pay. The first policy position my opponent took was no. Um, when she's going to Springfield, she's no budget, no pay, and Madigan paid for that mailer. <laughs> so Madigan's paying. That's amazing. Uh, That's amazing. That's great. Madigan's paying to promote a policy that he blocked and worked hard against. And I'm going to tell you something. You want something that pisses off the voters is when they're being lied to. And you know what they're being lied to. And I'm not afraid to show them in black and white with data how they're being lied to. You have to do it on the doorstep. You have to do it at dinner. You have to do it on Facebook. you got to get people upset to the point where they're talking to their neighbors, where they're talking to their kids and making sure they're voting, where they're talking to their, to their spouses and, and, and make sure they're voting. That's what you have to do. That's how you take back the state. You have to do it door to door. You have to expose the lie. I'll tell you what, that's a, it's a great story and a great riff, and it's exactly right. To, you have to do the hard work of connecting the dots for people that otherwise don't have the time to do it themselves or, or don't see it or get buffaloed by the, you know, the kind of uh, uh, Madigan finance propaganda for you know, the toadies and waiting for him like your opponent. It's, it's a great example of what we try to communicate, and you're very good at doing it, which is why you're in a better position than probably most suburban legislators. He's Mark Batnick, state representative, Republican from Plainfield. Mark, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, guys. Dan and Pat back on this edition of Rising and uh, Prairie State Wire, one of the papers I started uh, reporting this week on the spend of House Speaker Mike Madigan. Suburban candidates, uh, candidates, state legislative candidates in general, state house candidates in general, but uh, with particular emphasis in the suburbs because Madigan is really trying to expand the field. I think he sees opportunities in traditionally Republican held legislative districts that um, are uh, present because of the 
sort of dismal performance of Bruce Rauner and where he stands in the polls vis-a-vis Spalding. From uh, July 15 to August 15, Madigan has spent north of a million dollars distributed to 25 state House candidates, again, mostly concentrated in uh, uh, suburban Cook and the Collar Counties, $70,000 to Richard Johnson and Elgin, who's running in, a, in a, for an open seat that was that's currently held by Steve Anderson, who led the Republican Surrender Caucus to vote for the tax hike back uh, in July of last year. Uh, Karina Villa in West Chicago, north of a hundred grand so far for Madigan. Uh, M- Mark Walker in Arlington Heights. Again, open seat that David Harris, one of the other ringleaders in the Republican Surrender Caucus, uh, 86 grand for him so far. Uh, it's interesting and it's worth noting partly because one of the things I've found in some of the survey research I've done is that candidates being primarily financed by Mike Madigan, that is a characteristic that does not sit well with the general electorate. Uh, they don't want to see more Madigan puppets sent to Springfield to you know, dance to the puppeteer's string pulling. And so uh, it, it's interesting to see how that issue with Madigan's profile continued to be raised. Uh, how that plays out in some of these state house races. Yeah, it, it, hopefully it'll be a negative and hopefully the candidates running against these candidates will be able to exploit it. But what this tells me, Dan, is a couple of things because we've been in this a long I've been in, you've been in longer than me. He's spending earlier in these races, so he sees opportunity and 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 the early spend tells me that with the ba- with the Pritzker backing that he's not nearly afraid to run out of money. I think he feels like yeah. he's got as much money as he possibly needs. Yeah, no, I think that's right. So for more on this topic, we're pleased to be joined by uh, Tonya Curry, uh, somebody, uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I supported through my PAC in the primary campaign that she had this past March, who was victorious and is now running against one of those Madigan-backed candidates uh, out in western DuPage County. Uh, Tonya, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Glad to be here. So uh, this was, uh, again, a seat, uh, open seat. It was held by Mike Fortner, another Republican uh, who voted for the tax hike and then retired. Uh, and traditionally Republican district uh, held by conservatives. I mean, you know, different iterations of the boundaries, but held by conservatives in the past, like Tom Johnson. Uh, and so I guess the question for you would be what's different from your perspective on the ground in the district in 2018, as opposed to so many previous cycles where this was sort of a, a safe Republican seat. Right. Well, Mike Fortner had not had a race in a very long time. So that's the first difference. And there's a lot of engagement out in the district. And like you said earlier, my opponent and Mike Madigan have already sent nine mailers and it's before Labor Day. And they are not necessarily positive in their way. So what I mean by that is I, they sent very, a lot of negative mailers on me. And I sent one with my phone number on the back. And I have had several calls from people saying, this is just blatantly outrageous. I mean, people in the 49th District are pretty savvy, common sense people. So they can see right through these slick political mailers that are just filled with lies and deceit. And I'm explaining to the people, they're not only lying about me. They're lying about who they are and what they stand for, and people need to know that. Tonya, so 
what is the methods by which you're going to get people to know that? Obviously, you know, when you're in a campaign, you need to go directly to the voters. There's obviously mm-hmm. mail and there's television. And you, you did a lot of that in the primary. And of course, um, outside groups, including Dan, supported you as well. What, what, are, what are you doing? You, you, you going to the neighborhoods, talking to the people, going to events, knocking on doors. What are you saying to them? What are you hearing back? So I'm knocking on doors, obviously, almost every day we're out because there's, no, there's nothing that beats that face-to-face. I've sent, like I said, mailers out, um, kind of rebutting what they're putting out there, just outrageous lies. And I'm planning on having town halls like I did in the primary, where I can meet as many people face-to-face as possible. But what people are really resonating with, so I'm connecting the dots for people. I say that a vote for Karina Villa is a vote for Madigan, right? And people are like, why is that, you know? Madigan is in a different district. So I connect the dots with them. I tell them, okay, this is how it works. Yeah. If you vote any Democrat in to the state legislature, into the House, the first thing they do is vote for the Speaker of the House, and they vote for Mike Madigan again and again and again. The second thing they do is vote on the rules, and they vote on Madigan's rules, which gives him complete power which bills to call and which bills to be let's die in committee. So he's complete control over what is brought before the legislature. That's how he stayed in power for the past 40 years. And when I explain that to people, they're like, oh, okay, I get it, because they don't really understand the inner working. So my campaign, I'm just going to keep putting the truth out there. You know, I had a very contentious primary that I had to deal with lies and deceit, and I just kept putting the truth out there to people, and they realized that, and we won with 66% of the vote. So I'm going to be doing the same thing it's a lot of work, but it's worth it because I am not going to let Mike Madigan buy this 49th district. It's not going to happen. Uh, we so talk- I'm just going to keep putting the Jews out there. Uh, I, we talked to uh, Mark Batnick earlier in the show, state rep from uh, Plainfield, and he was uh, he gave us sort of an example of some of what you're talking about generally. Uh, he was a sponsor of the No Budget, No Pay Act. He worked with Leslie Munger, the former comptroller, to advance that legislation that if you don't get a balanced budget, then legislators don't get paid. And uh, and now he has an opponent being financed by Mike Madigan, who's running mailers for him that uh, or for her. I think it's a female opponent. I'm sorry for her uh, that uh, have her supporting the no budget, no pay act that Madigan killed. Never let see the light of day when Batnick was carrying it. So as an example, so that's one concrete example he uses to explain to people how duplicitous and deceitful Madigan and his minions running for these house seats are. I wonder if you've had a similar experience or something akin to that. Yes, I have. And again, that's how, that's how they're not only lying about me, they're lying about who they are and what they stand for. So they put out a mailer calling that I have a an extreme um, agenda of stealing, stripping $75 million from our public schools in a voucher-style scheme that diverts tax money to private schools. What they're referring to is the school funding bill that had the tax credit in there that was actually this extreme plan that they call was backed by the Democratic Party Chairman Speaker Madigan and it was passed by both Democratic-controlled legislative chambers and signed into law. So again, they're, they're, they're hitting me for this when it was actually something that was passed and pushed by Madigan and the Democrat-controlled legislature. So and that's, again, how they're lying about what they stand for. Right, a, a, a General Assembly you were not in, so you couldn't cast a vote one Correct. way or the other. Correct. Yes. I mean, and, and it's getting attention. I mean, they're, 
uh, Rich Miller wrote about it, and you had an op-ed in the Sun Times. So again, it's I think a matter of educating people really what's going on and really what these democratic tactics are. And I am confident, though, in the people in the 49th district. That stuff might work in the city of Chicago, but not out here in the suburbs. In DuPage, in King County, in West Chicago, in Wayne, in Batavia, Geneva, St. Charles, a lot of common sense people, a lot of Republicans that need to come out and vote and just put an end to this of what they're trying to what they're trying to do out here in the suburbs. Hey, Tony, obviously, you know, we had some polling that we saw this week on the governor, and, and obviously the president is not extremely popular in the north part of our state. How do you uh, deal with people tying you as a Republican to either Ron or, or the president, and, and, and how do you sort of con- convince them or explain to them that you're an independent voice uh, in Springfield? Right. Well, I am running for state legislature. I am not running on the national level. And they're going to try and do that too. And that's fine. But when I, again, and it's all face to face with the voters is what I've been doing. When I explain to them, okay, I don't really care what you think about Trump or the national level because I'm focused on the state right now. We have a lot of problems in this state that are not being fixed, that we need to change the culture in Springfield. We need to change the leadership in Springfield and start fixing these problems. And one of the main problems is Mike Madigan, as leadership, has created, and, and the political insiders have created a culture in Springfield right now where they're more concerned about protecting themselves and their colleagues instead of fixing the problems for Illinois. And I'm going down there to fix problems in Illinois. I'm going down there to, pr- to promote solutions about to lower our property taxes, for pension reform, for fair and equitable property tax assessment. You know, my opponent's not talking about any of these things. She doesn't mention property taxes at all. And I'm out knocking on doors. That is by far the number one issue people are dealing with. And these are big problems, and they need serious legislators down there with the mindset that things need to change, and we need to fix these problems. I'm going to give you a very short story. I was out walking in West Chicago, and I met a lovely woman who has six kids, and her husband works for the union, making good money. They had a beautiful home in West Chicago. And they had to move because they couldn't afford the property taxes. So now she's living in a two-bedroom house. Remember, she has six kids. She's living in a two-bedroom house. And she's just so frustrated and angry because she's like, look, we work hard. We play by the rules. We pay our taxes. And yet it still isn't enough. And that's what's unfair, and that's what needs to change. We need to start serving the people of Illinois and stop just talking about things. Um, we need to start dealing with the real issues that are hurting the people of Illinois, and that's what I want to go down to Springfield and do. Yeah, amplify those stories and then address them when you get down there. She's Tonya Curry running for state representative uh, in western DuPage County. Uh, Tonya, the website, if people want to get more information on your campaign. Yes, yeah, so it's my first and last name. It's T-O-N-I-A-K-H-O-U-R-I.com. All right, Tonya Curry, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. Dan, back with Pat on this edition of Rising. And uh, I mentioned this in passing when we were speaking to State Representative Mark Batnick, uh, Pat. Survey out this week, NBC Marist uh, survey, finds uh, Bruce Rauner, uh, at down 16 to Spalding, J.B. Pritzker, 
Uh, Third-party candidates, Cash Jackson, Libertarian, 6%. Sam McCann, the Conservative Party candidate, downstate state senator, at 4%. 46-30, though, that 16-point spread hasn't really moved since, it really hasn't moved at all since I surveyed the race in March, as I mentioned earlier on the show. And um, there doesn't seem to be much uh, of a, much room for Ronner to grow. I mean, you would think there would be a 30%. But what I'm saying is that he seems to be locked in at 30 percent. And he and J.B. Pritzker is sitting there watching his ad buys and spending three dollars for every dollar he spends. And so, you know, kind of winning the air war by coming over the top against your opponent, as he was able to do against Quinn. Well, against his primary opponents in 2014, against Quinn in the general in 2014, against Jeannie Ives in the primary in 2018. Not going to happen with uh, Spalding. Uh, so what's a governor to do? Uh, this guy is going down and he may be, go- as I've been saying since the beginning of the year, when I suggested that if you want to have a chance to hold the governorship in the fall, your only play is Jeannie Ives. And unfortunately, a narrow majority of Republicans disagreed with me. Uh, but what is uh, what is the party going to do when Bruce Ronner goes down in part- and, and perhaps in historic fashion? Well, first of all, let's talk about what is left to do potentially between now and November for for Governor Ronner. He's got a couple of structural problems. Number one, his approval rating is at 26%, and he's known by everybody, right? So it's really hard. That's why he's locked in. Right? You can't, it's hard to climb out of that. And he's got the Libertarian candidate and Sam McCann, who are drawing probably more vote from him than they are from from Pritzker. So that's not helping, right? So that So those two things are structural, and that's a big problem. To me, the only thing that he can do to win is hope that he has information on J.B. Pritzker that makes J.B. Pritzker unacceptable. Otherwise, he's going to lose. I mean, if the electorate sees like a Me Too problem or some virulent racist-type activity, then Pritzker could be become unacceptable to that 46% who already seem to like him. And he does come off as likable. So to me, that's where Ronner's chances, and that only exists if those facts are there, and so far I haven't heard anything about that. So so that's the first part. It, it, from a political analysis, he's in a lot of trouble. I, I don't think if you asked, I think if you asked him, he'd tell you that, if he was being honest. Where do you go from there afterwards? That's a great question. Um, the the play is in the legislature. you got to pick as, up as many legislative seats in local elections as, as you can, although these numbers show that Rahner is an anchor to legislative races. There's, there's no denying that. Trump is a wild card. The goal for Republicans should be twofold. It should be to pick up as many seats in the House, hold on to the seats and pick up as many in the House as you can to buttress Madigan's authority with a Pritzker governor. And then when you turn into January, the Republicans need new leadership and a new strategy to rebuild from what will then have been a Ronner failure. And it'll be interesting to see if there's any lessons learned here because uh, Ronner, uh, let's see, he's uh, the most pro-abortion governor in the history of America. Uh, signed sanctuary state legislation, uh, essentially winked and nodded a tax increase despite you know vetoing it. But half, uh, a third of the House Republican caucus voted for the largest tax increase in Illinois history. Junk science on gender, propping up Obamacare. I mean, what of the left's agenda has he not advanced? And yet, where does he find himself? Down 16 to, you know, a corporatist, platinum spoon candidate and J.B. Pritzker. And uh, in this uh, NBC Marist poll, down 25 among moderates, 
down 18 among independents. Boy, it's going to be tough for those big government Republicans who lorded over this party for the last half century, making it the super minority party it is, making it the, uh, the, the Republican Party that's the biggest joke in the nation with California you know, in stiff competition, but a Republican Party that exists on paper, only a joke junior partner to the Democrats, which is what they've been under the at the leadership level of the Republican Party. Never conservative reform. That's the one thing that hasn't been tried. And what and that's what Ronner campaigned on. But obviously, four years, he did a 180 on all of those issues I mentioned. No social agenda guy. Right. Uh, so now you're down 25 against mo- uh, moderates, down 18 among independents. And the whole argument from the big government Republican surrender leadership for generations has been, hey, you have to do this, you know, it can't be pro-life because you have to appeal to moderates and independents. It turns out the lesson to be learned from the Rahner cautionary tale is if you stand for no one, if you stand for nothing, I should say, you get no one. If you betray everyone, then no one will be there for you when you need them. That's where Rahner is, base hard Republican vote and nothing more. All the only the vote that's even probably not comfortable with him, but just saying I despise Pritzker and the Democrats and Madigan more than I despise Rahner. I'm a Republican, so I'll vote for the Republican nominee, even though I'm not enthusiastic about it, as this survey clearly demonstrates. What, what, what's frustrating about all this, Dan, is, you know, I obviously wanted Rahner to be successful. And it was just a year ago when you and I sat with him along with uh, John Tillman and explained to him that you cannot vote for sanctuary state. You cannot vote for HB 40. You mm-hmm. can't. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're still pro-choice. Everyone's going to give you credit for that. You can't do it. You will lose. And he and he and he didn't want. It wasn't that he didn't want to listen. He doesn't know, right? He he took advice from the wrong people to make the wrong decisions on those two issues. Maybe to have a legacy. Maybe for something else. But now he has, based on these numbers, he doesn't have a coalition of support. So back to my original point. It, it's down to Pritzker. Pritzker will have had to have done something horrible. Tying him to Madigan is not going to do it. It's clearly not doing it. They've been doing it for years or, or for months in this campaign. Um, it's got to be something that Pritzker's done that is unacceptable to the voters, and I don't see it yet. Right, and the problem, Ron, is to get the tying people to Madigan. Is Pritzker aligned with Madigan? Of course he is. Here's another guy, though. There's another issue where this guy is the boy who cried wolf. He has no credibility on the issue because he ran a primary to survive the primary, uh, snookering people into some people into enough people into believing that Jeannie Ives was Mike Madigan's favorite Republican. So when your only response to anyone who disagrees with you on the substance of the policy choices you made on the substance of the betrayals you committed is to say, Oh, well that person's aligned with Mike Madigan too. That person's a Mike Madigan toady. Then you know what? I don't believe anything you have to say, even when you're telling the truth about your opponent as he is with JB Pritzker. Dan and Pat on this edition of Rising and moving from the governor's race to the mayor's race, since they essentially run concurrently. you got a February primary, and uh, the way things are looking now, you'll have a runoff to April for Mayor Chicago. Tiny Dancer, recent survey that's been released. Tiny Dancer leading the field, 32% Tiny Dancer, 13% Gary McCarthy, 9% Vallis, 8% Lori Lightfoot, 8% Willie Wilson. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's sort of a, a mixed bag right now. I mean, the real takeaway from this as these other candidates are trying to 
punch through and introduce themselves to the electorate and the electorate just starting to pay attention perhaps to the mayor's race. The real takeaway here is that uh, Rahm Emanuel is in a very vulnerable position and there's been talk of more entrance into the race. Jeremiah Joyce's kid, you know, for the sort of the Irish mafia uh, representation. Uh, and also the fact that if Emanuel comes to the filing deadline and he sees no path that he may pull the ripcord. Boy, I'd be surprised that that happened because I mean, when I look at these numbers, I, you know, he's got to be saying, yeah, I'm vulnerable, but I'm still, I'm still ahead. And he understands well, that have, once- have, having a third of the vote uh, is not ahead because the anti-ROM vote consolidates in the runoff. That's what he's got to worry about. He does have to worry about that. But the issue then is it's, it's February to April. It's a very short primary to general election time. You still got people paying, you know, very, very uh, low attention for that April race. It's a different electorate in the April race than in the, than in the February race, right? There's di- different people voting. So he, he's still in a good position in my view, but a vulnerable one. And if it's McCarthy, for example, or Vallis, and they consolidate, those are names that are well-known that people can, 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 can move to. So he would be vulnerable to either of those two guys. I, I don't think McCarthy. I don't see McCarthy. I think he's a, sort of a one-trick pony. Uh, I think uh, the Chicago Police Department has a good reputation uh, with the city generally. I mean, it's much better, much more well-received a high, much higher approval rating than, say, CPS, which is interesting, probably would surprise people, but I've seen the polling. It's true. Um, but, I mean, I think McCarthy is just way too narrow and not particularly skilled. He's offered nothing. If he, if this is about sort of uh, uh, vindication for being the fall guy in the Laquan McDonald case, and we'll see how that Jason Van Dyke trial uh, uh, plays out, then uh, where's Gary McCarthy to tell us what he knows or should know about how that went down, about Rom's responsibility there, about the 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 uh, the quick settlement to Laquan McDonald's family before even a complaint was filed? Yeah, you're saying he's tagged with it also, so it's hard for him to prosecute that case. But Vallis has unless the, he's got something to offer. Vallis uh, and Lightfoot doesn't Vallis have the CP some CPS issues as it relates to that though? Well, Vallis was the head of CPS. Yeah, so he's so he, so he's got some issues on CPS that the same that McCarthy has on the police, and CPS is even lower rated, and you know so he's got he's got that problem too. I think, but, but when it comes to a runoff, I think the the challenges and why Chewy Garcia uh, was unable to defeat Rom four years ago, is, it wasn't because his name was Chewy. That wasn't the reason. No, I don't think so. Okay, um, it was he didn't clear the the credibility threshold. People didn't look at him and say, "There's is a guy." Is it the mustache? There's a guy I think could be mayor. It's like they 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 saw. There's a guy I used to uh, who, who's the character I used to play with Donkey Kong. That's what they saw. <laughs> Vallis doesn't have that problem, and Lightfoot doesn't have that problem. No question. Neither right. of them have those problems. I and agree so, with so clearing that credibility threshold is why Vallis and Lightfoot, and then Lori Lightfoot. You've got the identity politics appeal of a Lori Lightfoot. Plus, she's a corporate attorney. So even though she's perceived as hard left, and I think she largely is, she's not going to come across like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's not going to come across as some wild-eyed socialist. Just That's just not her personality. And she, she checks off demographic boxes right. le- left and right. And so, and then Vallis is, a, you know, sort of a cerebral guy, sort of a green eye shades guy. I think he has a difficult time putting together a natural constituency. And all of these people are having a difficult time putting together the resources to really break out, and which is why I think you see four candidates bunched up essentially within the margin of error. Um, but 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 I I think if I, I think the candidate that 
uh, Tiny Dancer most fears is Lightfoot for exactly those reasons. The, the demographics that uh, she his, can appeal his, to. His, history-making stuff going on there. Right, who would be the first African-American female mayor, the first gay mayor, right? So there's that, the her story. Her story. Her story. Um, and, um, and so I think that would, she probably presents the most political problems for Tiny Dancer in a runoff. But, I, you know, right now he's so weak, and as the violence rages, as it continued to over the weekend, over this la- you know, the last weekend, uh, in addition to all of the other problems and with the Laquan, with the Jason Van Dyke trial looming, um, you know, stranger things have happened. I don't think Tiny Dancer's tiny ego, well, huge ego, I should say, tiny tolerance for damage to his huge ego could take maybe finishing out of the money in the primary. I mean, you know, it's not a huge fall for him to be competing to get to the runoff from where he's at now. Yeah, well, if he does that, he's in trouble. Is there any chance that Willie Wilson could put his his notoriety, his weight, some of his money behind Lightfoot and consolidate some of their vote together? That could be an interesting play as well. Well, I think if, you know, if one or the other made the uh, made the runoff, perhaps that would happen. Uh, Will, I mean, you know, look, I was one of the inaugural members of Whitey's for Willie back uh, in 2015. I love Willie Wilson. So do really, I. I love him. So do I. And I think he should keep uh, passing out his money and other people's money that he gets through his foundation to help people who are in need right now. Uh, it's more honest than, you know, all the rest of these candidates combined. Dan, back with Pat from the Illinois Opportunity Project on this edition of Illinois Rising. And uh, Pat, uh, another a uh, couple of tragic stories out this week as it relates to this problem that we've discussed before because of the Illinois families who've been impacted by this. Uh, people in this country illegally shouldn't be here who commit violent crimes. Rape women, as Miguel, uh, Miguel Luna was convicted of, sentenced to 80 years in prison in Will County this past week, shouldn't have been here. Was here for 15 years, racked up uh, three dozen violations in Will County, and then he's convicted of raping three women. And then, of course, the national, really international case of Molly Tibbetts, the uh, young woman who was murdered by, at least apparently, the, the man who's been charged with first-degree murder for her murder, someone in this country illegally who shouldn't have been here. And here's what you get from the open borders crowd, the anarchy crowd. Elizabeth Warren this week on CNN reacting to Molly Tibbetts' murder. My, I'm so sorry for the family here, and I know this is hard, not only for the family, but for the people in her community, the people throughout Iowa. Um, but, but one of the things we have to remember is we need an immigration system that is effective, that focuses on where real problems are. Uh, last month, I went down to the border, and I saw where children had been taken away from their mothers. I met with those mothers who had been lied to, who didn't know where their children were, who hadn't had a chance to talk to their children. And there was no plan for how they would be reunified with their children. I think we need immigration laws that focus on people who pose a real threat. And I don't think mamas and babies are the place that we should be spending our resources. Yeah, in addition to her Tom Jode impersonation there, Elizabeth Warren, Oklahoma girl. Uh, but 
focus where there are real problems, not violent criminals who prey on the peaceful here. That's not a real problem. The real problem is the complicated child separation policy that has been uh, sort of the protocol for the last three administrations to deal with people trying to enter this country illegally, not through a, a recognized uh, port of entry for asylum seekers. That's the real problem, not what happened to Molly Tibbetts, not the women raped by Miguel Luna. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about Warren's comments, Dan, outside of the obvious is how she automatically goes to mamas and babies, right? And the reason that is is because mamas and babies aren't raping and killing young girls in in the country. And so she's moving the issue to these ostensibly vulnerable parents being separated from their kids, who, by the way, if they don't want to be separated from their kids, could stay in the land that they're from, right? Um, and, and so it's a little sleight of hand for her to say, don't look at that rapist or that murderer over here. Look at these poor kids and their moms here. And, and that's what's so disgusting about it. And sort of her, when she says, she opens your, the quote that you just played by saying, I'm so sorry. And it's, it's filled with faw empathism, uh, empathy. She's not sorry. You can tell she's not sorry. She doesn't care about this. She wants to bring more and more of of the type of violent criminal that committed the Molly Tibbetts murder into our country while she's bringing in more and more Democrat vote. That's this, the entire plan. This is the abolish ice party. This That's is exactly the, right. Abolish ice, uh, I guess, uh, abolish. And sanctuary city party. Don't pick these people up. Don't turn them over to law enforcement. Yeah. Abolish and, ice, abolish CPB too. Uh, CBP, I should say, Customs and Border Protection too. I assume they've got to go as well. Uh, I mean, you know, once they're done deporting, uh, 90 year old Nazis, then they got to go, I guess. But, uh, I, I, sanctuary city, sanctuary state. And frankly, uh, in advance of her 2021, she could have co Illinois state directors of Rom and Ronner on this topic. I mean, if they haven't abdicated to the Amalfi coast by then. Yeah. I think that, uh, Elizabeth Warren, if she runs in 2020 and is the nominee is going to get hammered. That's what I, I honestly think that I think Trump, if he, he's going to be the nominee, he will hammer her because she's not, this is, she's a, she is appealing to the smallest segment. And here's why think about Molly Tibbetts. That's, that's it's so sad and tragic and interesting at the same time is that when it happens in the sanctuary state of, uh, sanctuary city of San Francisco or Chicago, where there's lots of violence, right? People kind of, it gets it gets moved away. Even the, the Katie Stanley tragedy, well, it's San Francisco. When it happens in an Iowa cornfield for some yeah, young kid right. jogging between, you know, but before she goes back to her sophomore year, Dan, I have a freshman in college. Her sophomore year in college, that's where people start to say this is an outrage.